back in January, uh, back in the good old days when things were normal, remember, remember, remember that? <laughs> uh, I got a letter in the mail, and I'm not talking about an email, I'm talking about a letter. Someone literally went to their computer, clicked print onto a piece of paper, they folded that up, put it in another piece of paper, put a sticker on it, took it out to a mailbox. Someone drove up in the mail car, picked that up, took it to a building, sorted it, took it to my house, put it in my box. I had to walk outside, get the mail, open it up uh, to finally read what this person was saying. I think you get the idea. I received a physical piece of mail uh, on February 10th, and this was a letter that nobody wants to receive. I opened it up and it said, to Mr. Benjamin Faust, not a good start. You have been summoned, strike two, to fulfill your civic duty as a prospective juror. Please report to the Boone County Courthouse at 8 a.m. on February 10th. So that Monday, I drive to the courthouse, I go inside, I go up to the fourth floor, there's literally 150 people that got the same letter in the mail, summoned to be a prospective juror for a trial. We fill out some preliminary paperwork, uh, make sure we don't know anybody in the trial, we don't know the defendant or the witnesses, any of that, there's a long list of names. So we, we write all of that down, we submit it, we wait for like an hour, just waiting, probably as they go through the paperwork, they start calling people in one by one into the courtroom where the state and the defense and the judge are sitting, and I assume they're asking them questions. And then one by one, they start coming out, and they go downstairs, and they leave the courthouse. And literally, like, a hundred people, one by one, went in, and one by one came out and were sent home. So there's, like, a group of 50 of us left. They finally bring us all in. They sit us down uh, in the gallery, and they show us a video, which talks about the importance of being a juror and the responsibility and uh, the importance of a fair trial and all that. Then finally the judge asks us a series of questions and some people are sent home even after that. And then finally of the group that's left, uh, they separate us into three groups and I'm in the third group so I feel pretty good about it. They bring the first group up, 14 of them, and the state and then the defense get to ask a series of questions um, talking a little bit, hinting a little about what the trial is about, if you'd be able to give a fair trial, why or why not, uh, how to look at evidence in a certain way, what's the burden of the state to prove, you've heard beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, the evidence that the defendant is guilty. Even though none of us were actually there, we have to look at the evidence, and the state has the burden to prove it. So of that first group, they picked like three people uh, to be a juror. And how that works is... After they ask all their questions, the state, they huddle up and they say, okay, we think juror one would be a good juror. We think juror six would be a good juror and juror eight. We want them. Then the defense does the same thing and they say, ooh, we definitely don't want juror number one. We probably won't get a not guilty verdict from them. So they say, but we do like juror number six and juror number eight. And then the judge gets both of them and then the areas that overlap where they pick the same juror, those people are selected. So they picked, like I said, a couple people from the first group. Then the second group gets in the box, they ask them the same questions. They picked a couple people from that. And then finally, I get to go sit in the jury box with a group of 14 people. And they ask us all the questions. And I guess 
I answered right, I said the magic words, had a certain look on my face. Um, they say, okay, juror number, whatever my juror number was, they say, you've been selected to be uh, a juror on this trial. And I'm like, so surprised. Did not think that was gonna happen. They walk us back to the juror room that's behind the court. Uh, and uh, we just gotta get to talk with them and wait for the other people to be selected. And then finally they tell us, hey, the trial's gonna actually start tomorrow. So call your employer, call your family, let them know that uh, you're gonna have to report here for this week, could be two weeks long. We're not sure how long the trial's gonna go. And so this is all happening super fast. So we, we show up to court the next day. They do the state and the defense, they do their opening arguments, kind of overviewing the evidence. And you can start to see where, um, how the state's gonna take the evidence and prove guilt and then what the defense is gonna be from his attorneys. And then finally, the next few days, uh, we get to hear from the state, we get to hear from the witnesses of what happened, we get to hear from expert opinion, we get to hear from the detectives and the crime scene investigators and how they investigated the case, how they collected the evidence, and, and it's all presented before us. And finally on Friday morning, the, the defendant himself actually gets up on the stand and so we're, we're excited, we're ready to, for him to hear uh, you know, his defense. And he kind of goes through everything that happened and all of that, and then they send us back to a room, um, and we kind of collaborate, and we go through all the evidence, and we go through all, you know, the burdens that the state has to prove in order for us to find the defendant guilty or not guilty. And after four hours of discussing, uh, we come out and we deliver that we, as the jury, believe that the defendant is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt that the state proved its case. And then the judge says. Uh, asked the defense attorney, he said, do you want to poll the jury? And he says, yes. And he says, juror number one, was this your verdict? And they said, yes. Juror number two, was this your verdict? They said, yes. And they go through everything and everyone had to say, yes, we even personally found the defendant guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And so this was, I mean, the experience of a lifetime. Most people will never get to sit, you know, and they'll never get to see firsthand really how it works. We grow up um, watching all the law and orders and court shows, uh, but we actually got to see firsthand what real life trial is like when someone's life is, you know, is being tried and they're going to be found guilty or not guilty and go to prison. And not only did I get to see it firsthand, but I actually got to sit in the chair of a group of people who made that verdict. And so uh, it was not fun, but it was definitely a very interesting experience. And to me, uh, we had to we had to figure out. Even though we weren't there, even though we weren't present, even though we didn't see uh, what had happened, we don't even know the, the defendant, we didn't know any of the witnesses and the victims, uh, and yet they gave us the authority to make that decision for ourselves based on the evidence that was presented before us. And I think that's what Holy Week <laughs> is kind of like. Every year we get to this time uh, we take a week to look at the last week of Jesus' life, and we look at the witness testimony. We look at, at what happened, the evidence, the facts of the case, what was said, who said what. Um, we get to hear expert opinion. I'm not saying that what I'm giving is expert opinion, but we all get to study and, and read through uh, scripture of what happened. And then each of us, uh, has to decide, you have to decide, 
Was Jesus who he said he was? Did what happened actually happen? You may have heard it uh, said, you have to decide in your lifetime if Jesus was a liar and he wasn't telling the truth, whether he was a lunatic, uh, that, yeah, he really believed himself, that he, he really thought he was the son of, of God, but he wasn't. Or the, the only third choice is if he was telling the truth and he wasn't crazy, is that he's Lord. So he's a liar, lunatic, or Lord. Or you may have heard it that Jesus, you have to decide whether he was either a deceiver, that he was delusional, or that he actually was deity. Because if he wasn't who he said he was, if, if none of it actually happened, that this was some story that these 12 guys got together and they wrote out their own accounts of what happened and figured out how to make this up, then the Apostle Paul says that our preaching, what I'm doing right now, uh, is useless. He says that our faith is useless. He even warns us, saying, if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, you are guilty of lying about God. That we should be the most pitied people in all the world because we have believed in a fairy tale and given our lives to something that's not true. But if the facts, if the accounts, the historical details of what happened about this man, Jesus, from this town of Nazareth are true, then the implications of that demand you to see God, they demand you see your life, and they demand you to see the world around you uh, completely differently. We're in lockdown and quarantine, and there is an international pandemic, in case you didn't know, uh, like we've never seen in our lifetime. At the end of this, they're saying hundreds of thousands of people around the world are going to die from the coronavirus. And we're spending our time this morning reading from an ancient text about some Middle Eastern Jewish man who lived 2,000 years ago, and we are floored and we're studying how he got on a donkey and rode into the city of Jerusalem during Passover. Why does that even matter? So what? Because we've read the accounts. We believe the facts. We have studied the witness testimonies. We've heard from expert opinions. And we've decided, as Christ followers, that this was not made up, that this isn't just an ancient text, that this man wasn't just some Middle Eastern man, that he wasn't just some Jew in the past. We believe, after looking at all those things, that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was God in the flesh, that was crucified, but God raised from the dead three days later, and then the account says that he even appeared to 500 other witnesses post-resurrection. And then he ascended into the sky and told us the promise that he would return soon. This account we're going to read today is recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, so that repetition should tell you that this is important. Uh, and we're going to camp out in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 21. I want to read the text I'm going to teach a little bit about the context of what this meant for the Jews in their time, uh, how it fulfilled some prophecy of the Old Testament, how, how those are connected. But then we got to ask the question, what is, why does this matter? How does this change my life? What does this mean to me as a follower of Christ, uh, a disciple 
uh, here and now uh, in 2020. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So what's going on here? Uh, Jesus and his disciples and all those who are following these crowds, they're on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish feast of Passover. Passover, if you're not aware, is a Jewish, it's a yearly celebration uh, to remember how God delivered them from their 400 years of slavery uh, in Egypt. How God led them through uh, the Red Sea, how he's parted that to save the Hebrew people. And so every year since then, for the last 3,000 years, uh, they have been gathering the Jewish people around a table, around a meal, enjoying elements, literally, that they can taste of the story to recall uh, God's faithfulness and how he uh, miraculously saved them. Uh, if you want to read more about that, go to Exodus chapter 12, going through all the plagues and how Moses uh, went through Egypt. And It's called Passover because on the 10th plague, the Lord comes and he kills all the firstborn uh, in Egypt. But unlike Pharaoh, who had killed many Israelites, uh, the Lord offers an escape, a way out. He offers a, a way for mercy. And he says, if you take a lamb and you sacrifice them and you spread its blood over your doorposts, I, the Lord, will pass over your home and your firstborn will be safe. And so the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, they do that and all of Egypt in mourning. And that allows Pharaoh to get rid of them and frees them from their slavery. And Moses leads them through the Red Sea. Uh, so if you, like I said, Exodus chapter 12, if you actually want to see actual footage of what that was like, you can grab uh, the Prince of Egypt on VHS and check that out this week. Uh, but that 3,000 years, as I said, they've been celebrating this together as the Jewish people. This is the meal as Jesus and his disciples who were Jews, they were coming to the temple to remember the Passover and how God saved them. So Jesus was on his way, and this is important as the details of this story because what happened here, as Matthew says, is fulfillment of prophecy. Prophecy of Zechariah uh, chapter 9, uh, verses 9 through 10, which I'll read here in a second. But we prophecy of what? It was, who was going to be the Messiah? And that word Messiah is the same word when we say Jesus Christ. Christ meaning king. Messiah means king. There's a long list of prophecies, which I'll show some of them to you here in a second, of who could this Messiah be? What are the qualifications? How all the Old Testament is pointing towards uh, one whom God will send to deliver them, the Messiah. 
So the first prophecy, Matthew did my homework for me. He reminds his fellow Jews in, the, in us reading even today uh, that Jesus riding specifically on a donkey with a colt fulfilled Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah 9, 9-10 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King, your Messiah, is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. For I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. We're going to look at a couple of these prophecies, and there's a temptation to want to check out once we start digging into the Old Testament, going deeper, and kind of looking about how all these Old Testament prophecies are pointing towards Jesus. There's a temptation to want to check out um, and wait until the end when we say, so how does this apply to my life? Uh, looking just for that practicalness uh, from Scripture. So I encourage you to stick in there. Let's, let's dig deep a little bit in the Old Testament and look at this, because remember, you're a juror. Uh, you have to weigh the evidence. This evidence is really important because if this isn't true, if Jesus didn't fulfill this prophecy, uh, then he could not have been the Christ. So this prophecy in chapter 9 describes a day when the Lord will send his king, his Messiah, uh, to Jerusalem to judge the nations for how they've treated Israel, how they've treated God's people, and then how he will deliver them, how he will send them. Um, he will send his king with righteousness, he'll have salvation, and he will come with humility to then speak peace uh, over the nations. All of the Old Testament, as I talked about, is pointing towards this one who will deliver God's people. And so the Jewish people uh, were in this time, and I mean, sadly, still are. They're waiting for the signs of and someone to meet all of these Old Testament qualifications uh, so that they know that this person is the Christ whom uh, God sent to deliver them. Who is the true king? So I want to put, there's a slide that's going to pop up here uh, of a lot of the different Old Testament prophecies. I'm not going to go through and read all of them, but to be the Messiah, you must, and then read through this list. Uh, just kind of glance over them. You'll recognize that several of them point, uh, all of them point to Jesus um, and should remind you of things that he did in his life and the way he healed people and the way he was rejected, the way he was crucified, how he rose from the grave. Uh, so check out this list and remember you're a juror. This is facts of the case of whether Jesus is who he says he is. And so as we look at the qualifications for uh, Messiah, who the Christ can be, this passage is important, as I mentioned earlier, because uh, Jesus rides specifically into Jerusalem on a donkey. Check. Uh, a king riding in on a donkey, meaning that he's coming to speak peace. This is a sign of a king who would come not to wage war, but to bring peace. Uh, and so the crowds, they start gathering, um, and, and they start stirring one another up because, as I said, some ran ahead um, of Jesus to, to get these crowds to come out and greet him because uh, he had just he raised Lazarus from the dead. He just healed two blind men. Uh, and now he's asking for a donkey and a colt. And so all this is starting to sound too familiar. Um, they're starting to put two and two together because this list is ingrained in their mind as they're all looking and waiting for this Messiah to come and deliver them. And so they, they run ahead to Jerusalem because they're on their way too to celebrate Passover. And, and they gather the crowds to come out and to worship him because they think he could 
be the Christ. They're shouting Hosanna to the son of David. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest saying, Lord, save us. That We believe you are the one who was sent to save us, that you are the rightful king of Israel. And so they grab these palm branches, which are signs of victory, and they start laying their coats down um, to prepare the way as they would uh, for a king who's coming into the city. This all sounds really familiar, and they would know uh, from Psalm 118, so I want to read that for us as well. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. Jesus said in in John 10, I am the gate. Uh, Whoever enters me shall be saved. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The house of the Lord being the temple in Jerusalem. The Lord is God, Yahweh is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With boughs in hand, bow means branches, with branches in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar, the temple in Jerusalem. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That's what Jesus' triumphal entry was supposed to be like. That's the fulfillment of prophecy, where Jesus' coming would be marvelous in, God, in, the, in people's eyes. Uh, yes, they would shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but they would recognize that the Messiah came for their salvation, that this was an answer to their pleas. And yet, as we'll see this week, uh, the people of God quickly turn on Jesus. And is not mar- he is not marvelous in their eyes. He's a thief and he's a blasphemer. And so they plot to crucify him uh, because the religious leaders were so preoccupied with their own uh, political power. They were so blinded by their own ideas of God, uh, their own expectations for who this king was supposed to be. Um, They expected that this king would come uh, for their victory, that he was supposed to come for their glory, to make the nations bow down to them, even though the Messiah was supposed to not make the nations bow down to them, but to bless the nations through Israel. Their hearts were so hard Uh, They had been so far from God that they missed him, uh, even when he was standing right in front of them. So let's bring this home. How does this really relate to me? You might be getting Palm Sunday is great, fulfill some prophecy. We saw that in the Old Testament. But check back in. How does this speak to my life? How do I uh, follow Jesus better this week because of what I read? So we're going to look at some of the people in the story. Sometimes when I read these, I like to pretend I was in the stories, not like a character in a book or a movie, but I like to think about if I had been born in this time, what would I have thought about Jesus? Would I have been a follower? I mean, we all like to think that we would have been a disciple of Jesus. We wouldn't have been a Pharisee. We wouldn't have been a Roman soldier. Um, And of the disciples, we we of course would have been John, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, We wouldn't have been Judas. I mean, come on, we wouldn't have been Peter. We wouldn't deny Jesus three times, even though we just told him uh, that we would stick with him uh, until the end. 
And we all like to think that we would have been in this crowd on Palm Sunday, um, shouting Hosanna, praising Jesus, taking off our coats and laying them before him. Uh, but none of us imagine that we would have been in the crowd on Friday shouting for Jesus to be crucified. So who are you in this story? Based on who you are today, who would you have been then? First, are you Jesus? Obviously not. Okay, next, that's easy. Are you uh, a disciple, one of his disciples, who he tells to go and get the donkey when it didn't really make sense at the time, but you've walked with Jesus enough, you're close enough to him, and you've learned to trust him, even when it doesn't really make sense. You've learned to obey him, even when you don't understand why. You would know you're a disciple if you've taken the words of Jesus to heart when he said, if you love me, you will do what I say. Second, are you the owner of the cult? You don't really know why these guys showed up. They're asking for your cult. But you know, if someone shows up from the church and tells you that God needs something from you, and you're a good guy, you're a person of faith, you always want to help out when you can, you believe in God too. You, you're not greedy, you're not materialistic, you'd give someone the shirt off your back, uh, you're willing to help out anybody who needs it. Uh, and yet, the guy in this story didn't even know what God was up to. He was far removed from Jesus. He didn't really know him at all, never had spent time with him or walked with him. But you respect religious people, and uh, you have faith in God too, but you're just not really sure what he's up to. So maybe you're the owner of a cult. Second, are you the person in a crowd, in the crowd? Um, you're a religious person, you show up to church, you show up to these festivals a couple times a year uh, when you can. You're not really sure what the word Hosanna means or why we're calling him son of David, David who. Um, but you're, you're a religious person and you don't want to be the person who doesn't know what they're doing. So you just sing out Hosanna too and you sing out, uh, people are raising their hands, you raise your hands too. People are throwing their coats down. I don't know why, but let's just throw them down too. Uh, you would say that your faith is somewhat cultural or it's been somewhat passed down to you. It's kind of just how you grew up. Uh, you always had a Bible in the house. Maybe your mom always had a cross necklace on. Uh, you prayed before you know Thanksgiving meals and things like that. Um, but not necessarily because you would say your parents were godly. It's just kind of how they grew up. And so then that's how you were raised as well. And you would say a lot of your faith is kind of just something that was handed down to you, not necessarily um, because of your time spent with the Lord or time spent around other disciples, other followers of Jesus, or from what you've read in Scripture. So maybe you're a person in the crowd. Maybe you're one of the religious leaders not that you hate Jesus by any means, but you would say you've been a Christian for a while. You've been a Christian maybe your whole life. You're the leader of a small group. You're the teacher of a Bible study, and you serve at the church, and you love God. Um, but someone new comes along, and maybe they start taking some of that power, some of that leadership away from you. And they come along, and everyone starts praising them. And, wow, they do such a wonderful job. And yet you've done it, that same job for years, and no one's ever praised you. No one's ever said thanks to you. And so that starts to get under your skin. and it starts to irritate you, and you quickly want to find fault in that person. Uh, I mean, don't you think the Pharisees heard so many times, hey, like, have you heard about this guy, Jesus? Like, he's an incredible teacher. Like, he knows the scriptures so well. Uh, not to say that your lessons and your Bible studies aren't good. They're, they've always been pretty good. But Jesus' lessons and his sermons, wow, like I've never even heard before. So good. I mean, don't you think they, they heard 
uh, hey, Jesus is saying he's from God, and uh, he's healing people and raising people from the dead, and he's forgiving sins. Uh, why don't you guys do that? Uh, it's amazing when he does that. You guys are from God, too. Uh, why don't you guys do that? I mean, don't you think they heard that so many times? And that's what got under their skin because they were holding on to such power over the people. And when that started to be taken away from them and given to someone else, uh, they were irritated and quickly wanted to find fault in Jesus and plot to uh, kill him. Maybe you've been asked to step out of your leadership role or step into a role that there's not much public praise. People don't see the work that you're doing and therefore you feel unappreciated. Um, and that gets to you. So maybe you're a religious person. Some of you, though, uh, you are the donkey, and you don't even know it, and that's why we love you. You're always available to serve whenever Jesus asks you. You're always around. You will always do whatever it takes to make sure that Jesus is seen by the people, not you. Uh, you do whatever it takes to make sure he's lifted up, and even if that requires you to stay low. Uh, you're only wanting Jesus to be praised. And if I were to say your name right now and thank you for what you do uh, behind the scenes, you'd be really uncomfortable. Uh, and so we thank you. We love you. Uh, you are the donkey. And uh, I think that's, I think that's a comp take that as a compliment that you're the donkey this morning. There's, there's one more to the story and I just want to add really quick. Um, it's the person, I was thinking about this on the way, there's a person who's not even in this story. There's a lot of people that lived around Jerusalem, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who they never really heard of Jesus, didn't really, they don't go to the celebrations, they don't go into the temple, they really could care less. Uh, they're not in this story because they're much more interested in writing their own story. So maybe you're that person this morning, maybe because you're watching online. A lot of people are watching now than have ever before, and the gospel is being made attainable and, and is going to the people in our community. So maybe you're watching, and maybe that's you. And if that's you, uh, if you really don't know much about Jesus, never been to church, you don't really care about any of that, but you're watching now, I want to invite you on Friday, online here, to our Good Friday service so that you can hear the story. Uh, you can hear the story of Jesus who was crucified, who died, uh, to prove how much he loves you so that you could have a relationship with God. And then I want to invite you next week, same time, same place, 10 a.m. here on Facebook, to hear the story of Jesus, uh, of his resurrection, how he didn't stay dead so that you could have eternal life with God. Um, so maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're someone who's not even, you wouldn't have ever even been recorded uh, in this story. As we look to Palm Sunday, the rest of Holy Week, we're walking through Jesus' life. As I mentioned earlier, you have to make a decision of who Jesus is, who he, who he was. You have to be the juror. You weren't there, but you still have to make a decision and make a verdict whether Jesus was a liar, was he crazy, was he a lunatic, was he delusional, or was he Lord? Does all this pan, uh, pan out as you read through these witness testimonies? Who is Jesus? You have to make that decision. But the biggest and the final point I think that we have to learn uh, from this story is that Jesus made a decision today in a small way to obey God in a big way later this week. He made, it seemed insignificant to get on the donkey, but that was a submission to God's will in a small way so that he could submit and be obedient to God in a huge way on Friday when it counted in the resurrection 
I mean, we all want to do big things for God. We're all looking for those resurrection moments where we love him, we want to serve him. Jesus said you have to bear your cross. So we're looking for those big cross moments. And yet similar to what David said last week, we have to narrow our focus. What's the thing God's asking you to do today? Uh, Because had Jesus not been faithful in just getting on the donkey, we wouldn't have been talking about later events of this week. If God can't trust us with the small things, we won't obey him, nor will he trust us with the things, the big moments in our life, the, the moments that really are only once or twice in a lifetime to obey him. God is much more concerned in how we live our ordinary uh, Mondays, how you live your normal Tuesday night when you always eat tacos, your typical Wednesdays, uh, because Palm Sunday is just as holy as Easter Sunday, as Resurrection Sunday, because Jesus was faithful today. He then was faithful this week. Jesus' decision to obey God put his life in a trajectory, put his life in motion so that he could obey God when it counted. And so the same way for us, we have to make that small decision today with the narrow our focus uh, to figure out what God, what's the decision I can make for him today that's gonna make me faithful next week, make me faithful, that's gonna make me prepared and equipped to obey God next year, uh, next summer, next month. Um, All of those things require us to narrow our focus uh, and to get on our donkeys. Last year on Palm Sunday, uh, we had Bill Wolf come with his band and he performed Easter stories and songs. If you were there, you remember because it was amazing. Uh, Probably the best live music that I've heard. They're super talented. And Easter stories and songs walks us through even all the way far back as Christmas and leads us all the way to Palm Sunday, leads us to uh, the communion meal on Thursday, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, and even beyond that, the church that the life, or the life the church lives today. And so there's a link to that. We're going to send that out. I encourage you to watch it. It's like an hour-ish. Uh, watch that concert and let it prepare yourself to walk through with Jesus uh, in this holy week. But the lyrics to one of his songs say this, O daughter of Zion, do not be afraid. Your king, he is coming. So prepare the way. Your hearts be made ready and palm branches laid. Your time has now come. This is the triumphant parade. And the saints are gathering in the streets. Their praises ring. Sing Hosanna in the highest. This man before us is Christ victorious. Then he goes on to say in the next verse, Jesus, son of God, do not be afraid. A cross on your back. This is a different parade. The time has now come. This is your fateful day. So pick up your cross and be on your way. For the children are crying out for the coming king. But could it be that this man on the cross could be the one to save us all? And then let me leave you with this quote from Andrew of Crete, who was a 7th century preacher and bishop of the church. And he wrote, It is ourselves that we must lay down under Christ's feet, not our coats or lifeless palm branches. For only when we take off our pride, our sin, our way of seeing the world, only then can we put on Christ. Only then can we clothe ourselves in his grace and humility. I pray uh, that you really want to be like Jesus. You really do want to follow him this week, in this holy week. You want to be his disciple. Well, I encourage you to get on your donkey today. Narrow your focus. What 
do you need to do today to be obedient, to prepare you, to equip you, to put your life in motion, to put your life in a trajectory that you are in God's will uh, next week, next month, next year, that you are able to obey him uh, in the big moments of life. Let me go ahead and pray for us. God, in this holy week, we want to follow you. We want to follow you to the upper room to share a meal. We want to follow you as you wash feet. We want to follow you even to the cross and recount your crucifixion, how horrid that was. And yet for our sins, you did that. For how much you love us, Father, you sent your only son to die. But Father, we look forward to Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, when we will celebrate together as your children that Christ was victorious, that he was the king, and therefore you raised him back to life so that we too could be raised to eternal life in him. We recognize, Father, what we ask is only possible through your Holy Spirit. We pray he is with us and encourages us and guides us with Christ this week. We ask this in his name and through your Spirit's power.